Donzel, it's not much different. It's not much different. I, uh, I was sitting there this morning and I was thinking, I need an opening illustration. <laughs> and a closing illustration. I think it's time to pray. So I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your word and for your great grace to us. Thanks for the memories. Thanks for a community of remembrance. May we remember now. And would you use your word to bring near to us your love, your presence, your great faithfulness in Christ and for Christ. Amen. Well, I don't get out to the movies very often. I think the um, last movie that we got to see as a family was Finding Dory. Uh, no, it's Finding Nemo, Dory something. I don't know. It was Dory. Dory is about a bluefish, and Dory um, struggles with short-term memory loss. And there are several points in the movie where this becomes kind of comical. She is, at one point... Uh, playing, or not playing chase, but she has Flounder following her, this other fish, but she forgets that he's following her. So then she's like, somebody's after me, and I don't know them. So she starts like running from this uh, other fish, or swimming. Fish don't run, do they? No. (laughs) Maybe I need to pray again. So (laughs) she's swimming away, and the fish is, uh, the fish is going after her, and she's like, what are you doing? She's like, stop following me. And she's like, but you're showing me the way. And she totally forgot. You know, forgetting things can put us in awkward social situations sometimes. It can actually be detrimental to our relationships. Um, I know because I can relate to Dory. So this summer I discovered books on tape. Like, uh, it's not really on tape, audiobooks. Um, so we've been doing these audiobooks, and I've been reading a whole lot more because of the audiobooks. And uh, I found out that you can get audiobooks from the public library, and you don't even have to enter. So I check out all these books from the public library when I'm away. I was on this trip. I was in Dallas, and all of a sudden, I get this notification that uh, the Brothers Karamazov has come into my queue. And I think, great. Pam's talked about that book a lot. I still haven't read it. And then it tells me, and you have 14 days to read this. And I'm thinking, like, isn't that a really long book? How am I going to do that? Then I start listening to it, and I didn't really like the reader's accent. He was just a little too toity for me. Uh, And so I stopped listening to it. And then I come back, and uh, and then I found out that Pam's listening to it because we share an account. Like, oh, well, what do you think about the guy's voice? And she's like, yeah, I'm so excited that it finally came in. And I'm like, it finally came in. What do you you mean? She's like, well, remember how before you went on the trip, I told you that I reserved it and so that when it came in uh, and you got the email to let me know, you know? And I was like, no, I don't. I thought I put it in the queue. Um, so, So then she says, but they... They told me I only had six days to read it. (laughs) You actually had like 14, sorry. Um, You know, we forget things. We forget things all the time. We forget God. We forget the gospel. 
We forget the basics. And it's because of that that over and over again we see in the Bible this call to remember. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel. The basics of the gospel, Paul wants to remind the Corinthians of why. Because we forget. And here in this song, after God has brought the ark back into Jerusalem, after it has been lost for years, David stops and he sings this song, and the song is a call to remember God. Verse 12, remember the wondrous works that he has done. Verse 15, remember his covenant forever. So here's what I want to ask this morning. I want to ask, what do we remember? How do we remember? And why do we remember? First, what do we remember? And it's very explicit. It says that David calls us to remember the covenant promise of God. Look at verses 15 through 18. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan and to your por- and as your portion for an inheritance. God's relationship with his people is founded on a covenant. A covenant is not something that we think about a lot, but a covenant is a, it's a relationship that is sealed with an oath based on promises. A covenant is like a marriage. It is contractual, but it's more than contractual. You are obliging yourself, committing yourself to the other. And here, God commits himself to Abraham, and he commits himself to promise things to Abraham. And first and foremost, he promises to be his God. I will be God to you. I will bless you. I will protect you. I will preserve you. I will be God to you. That's why to remember the covenant is to remember not just that he is God, but that he is our God. That's what verse 14 is saying, that he is the Lord, our God. This is what we remember. And when, when the Bible says that he is the Lord, whenever you see that in your Bible, and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. And Yahweh is God's divine name. That is like his name, like my name is Kyle. His name is Yahweh. And Yahweh, it, 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 it's sometimes translated I am. But Hebrewists will tell you, those who are very well versed in Hebrew, that when God originally reveals his name to Moses, it's most likely, or better translated, I will be. 
See, this isn't simply the God who is. This is the God who will be, who will be God for you. That's his covenant name. I am for you. I am your God. I will be your God. Not only now, but forever. And this relationship, this covenant relationship, it's got to have a place in which it can be lived out. And that's why there are all these promises and reminders about the land. To you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Now, here's what's important. Jews, not just Christian, Jews, throughout the rest of the Bible, throughout the first centuries, they understood that Canaan was simply a starting place. A starting place to live out a relationship that was going to be spread out to cover the whole earth. And so that's why Paul says that what God promised Abraham was the world. And God not only promised it to Abraham, he promised it to Abraham and his descendants. And here's what else you need to know. Paul said that if you were in Jesus Christ, you are Abraham's children. Heirs according to the promise. That because the spirit has been placed in you, the spirit of Jesus Christ, who is the descendant of Abraham, you are a descendant of Abraham. You are an heir to this promise. So what does all that mean? It means this, that whether or not, whether or not you are ethnically, racially, or nationally an Israelite. If you are a Christian, you are an inheritor of this promise that God will bless you, that he is for you, that he will protect you and preserve you, that he will make your name great, that he will provide you a place, an inheritance to live that out. And that that promise is an everlasting covenant, that it will last forever. We are to remember God's covenant promise to us. We are also to remember his covenant care, that this actually is worked out in history. Look, verse 12 says, remember the wondrous works he has done. And we can tell from comparing verse 9 to verse 23, that the wondrous works that he has done is his salvation. Tell of his wondrous works, verse 9. Verse 23, tell of his salvation from day to day. See, what we are never to forget is this. That we were lost, and now we are found. That he has saved us. That Christ has died, that Christ is risen, that Christ will come again for us and for our salvation. And that's why verses 19 through 22 rehearse all the ways in which God has cared for the Israelites through the wilderness, through their history. And we need to rehearse all the ways in which God has cared for us so that we can remember. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 Paul says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember his covenant care. Remember all that he has done. 
to tangibly work out that promise in your life. The mentors that he has brought into your life, the people who have preached the gospel to you, the ways in which he has provided you with bread and wine and water to communicate his love to you. Think about all the ways in which you had people come into your life who warned you. Think about the providences that kept you from doing the things that would have destroyed you. Think about all the graces that God has brought into your life and rehearse them. Remember. Have you ever seen that children's book uh, by Robert Munish? It's like, I love you forever. So it's got this, this mom and she has got her baby and she's rocking the baby and she says, I love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And then it says the baby growing up, and they're two. And we all know, or not we all know, but some of you know, and some of you are yet to find out what a two-year-old can do to your house when they're walking around. And the pictures in the book are like this house that's totally wrecked, right? And I'm just going to tell you right now, you will save a lot of money if you're, some of you are about to have children. Um, praise Jesus. You need, you, need to put, you need to invest in a storage unit and you need to put all your furniture and your rugs and your carpet and everything in that storage unit and then start shopping on Craigslist, right? It will save you money. The money that you will put into the storage unit, you will save money on, trust me. Uh, you know, the house becomes a different place when the kids become mobile. And, uh, and you know, when they, when they do things like, well, all kinds of things. And so this house is totally torn up, and, uh, and the mom's like, oh, I can't believe this is going on, and look at my house. But then at night, she comes in, she takes her two-year-old, she puts him in her arms, and she sings, I love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as you're living, my baby will be. And then it gets older, and it's like, then they're a teenager, right? They don't come in, they dress weird, they're using foul language, uh, they, they like, totally don't want to associate with mom, and it, and it has the mom going into the teenager's uh, room at night, you know, I'm sure after he was out late and snuck in, and, you know, she bends over the bed, I love you forever, I like you for always, as long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. And, uh, and I think about that because that is a picture of God's covenant promise and covenant love. It's to wake up in the morning and to know that God says over you, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, which is hard for some of us to believe. I believe God loves me, but does he like me? Does he really want to spend time with me? I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, as long as you're living. And I will bring you back from the dead. My son, my daughter, you will always be. To remember God's covenant love is to remember on your worst days when you totally blow it, when you fail, when you get the F back, when you lost your scholarship, when you lost your job, when you wreck the car. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as you're living, my son or my daughter, you'll be. 
And it's to remember on your best days, when you get the scholarship, when you get the job, when you get the promotion, when you get married. I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as you're living, my son or my daughter, you will be. That's covenant love. That's God's covenant claim on your life. And that's what we have to remember over and over and over again because we forget it. But how? Because memory doesn't come naturally, does it? Uh, that's why we have to commit things to memory because it requires a commitment. Uh, we have techniques for memorizing things. Uh, I, remember a, uh, I remember a Hebrew professor of mine who was just really, really good at Hebrew. And I was like, how does he remember all this? And one day, I just thought, he's just really smart. Right? And he was really smart. But one day, I go into his office, and I'm talking to him, and he's talking to me, and there's a desk between us. And as I'm talking, I notice behind him that there are these flashcards. The same flashcards that I am using in his class to learn Hebrew, he has stacked up behind him. And I said, what, what are those? And he goes, well, those are the words that I'm working on. And he had piles. And some were the piles that he knew cold, and some were the piles that he knew kind of, and some were the piles that he didn't know yet. And he had piles stretched out. And this guy had a PhD, and he had been doing this and teaching Hebrew for like 10 years, but he continues to work on it. Why? Because if we want to know something, we have to commit it to memory. It actually requires techniques. And this... This, uh, there are various techniques that we use, like, um, like acronyms or like Roy G. Biv or, uh, or chains, right? Every good boy, something, something, something. Obviously, that one didn't work on me. <laughs> or another one, my favorite, my personal favorite memory technique is sleep. Did you know that? That if you go to sleep, like it, it, the thing that you looked at right before you went to sleep and right when you wake up, you remember best. So you all thought that I was being lazy in college. I was studying. I was working, right? That's why I took naps all the time during exams, because you help, it helps you remember. Trust me. Or not. Just don't blame me. Uh, there are memory techniques in this passage, like singing. Uh, throughout, this, throughout this song, we have this command to sing, verse 9, sing to him, sing praises to him, verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth. See, why do you sing? Because singing gets things in your head. I was at, uh, we were at Presbytery yesterday, which is our gathering of um, churches, representatives from churches, and pastors from around this region. And we were there, and uh, this guy was talking about how he had a hard time making it through his, his exams when he was becoming a minister. And they asked him, they said, uh, and he's Korean, and they asked him, they said, oh, can you name the books of the Bible in order? And he was like, I never learned the books of the Bible in English. I didn't, and so I was like, oh, no. He was sweating, so he goes, well, can I, can I sing them in Korean? And they said, okay. And then he just starts singing the books of the Bible in Korean, Right? And some of you, you know the books of the Bible because of that. I, I know Bible verses because I learned to sing them. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. In a round? Okay. <laughs> da, 
that we... All right, <laughs> enough of that. So, but singing helps us remember. The other thing that we do is we give thanks. We stop and give thanks. Verse 8, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And one of the biggest responsibilities you have as a newlywed if you become, uh, when you get married is that you have this long list of thank you cards that you have to stop and write. But it's actually a really good discipline because you are showered with so many gifts, so many gifts at these showers, and they just come rushing in and your wedding, and it's all a blur. And so when you stop and actually have to go through them, it, it, it does something to you to help you be grateful and to realize all that you have received. Listen, every day you are showered with so many gifts from your Father in heaven that you cannot even keep up with it. And the discipline of stopping and writing them down and going through the list and giving thanks reminds you of all the things that he has done all the things that he has done for you and how present he is in your life. Another way that we remember is to teach. Verse 8, verse, uh, verse 8b, make known his deeds among the peoples. Verse 23, tell of his salvation from day to day. Verse 24, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. In other words, declare what he has done. Tell other people. Give your testimony. Teach. Uh, some of you uh, have had as a professor, some of you worked with uh, Bob Gundry, who was a professor at Westmont for 38 years. And um, one time, another pastor in town, who was his student actually, asked him, how do you know all this stuff? And he said, well, when you teach it year in, year out for 38 years, it gets stuck in your head. And, uh, and that's right. And when you teach something, it's not just a benefit for those who you're teaching. That's why I love teaching New Testament introduction because it, it re, it's a refresher on the content of the scriptures for me. And, and, and so teaching others, telling others is a way to bring things to mind. When's the last time you talked about what God has done in your life? When is the last time you told someone about the wondrous works of God? Don't miss the opportunity. I did the other week. I did the other week. Don't miss the opportunity. And I don't mean formally. I don't mean doing, although that's good, right, and good to get up in front of the church or somewhere else and to give your testimony. But I mean just interpersonally. Listen to what God did in my life. Some of you are so good at this. Thank you. We need you. We need the reminders about God's active work in our lives and our community because I forget. Another way, another way in which we remember is to give. Look at verse 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. You know, there was this thing called a thanksgiving offering. When God had done something in your life and you wanted to mark it, to remember it, you would actually bring an animal to the temple and make a sacrifice to God. Why? Because it helps you remember what he has done when you look around and you see that, you know what? That sheep is gone now. There's something missing. Why is it missing? Oh, it's missing because of all that God has done for me. It reminds me of his provision in my life. 
It's not a loss. It's a gain. And so when we stop to give, it's an opportunity to mark what God has done. I hope you give regularly to the work of the kingdom. I hope you do for your own sake. I hope you do because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I hope you do because you cannot serve God in money. But I also hope that you take time when God does something special. When God moves in your life in a powerful way. That you don't give just your normal tithes and offerings. But you take time to set aside a sacrificial portion to give for your own sake. That you might not forget God. And all that he has done for you. So these are some of the ways in which we remember God. And the way in which we do this primarily, of course, is through corporate worship. That's why we come every week. That's what we're doing here. We're jogging our memories through the rituals of renewal. We bring to mind all that God has done. Because I forget. I forget week in and week out. That's why the people who give the call to worship here, I am so thankful for you. Because I need my life reoriented every week. I need to set a reset for someone to get up and say, worship God to remember what is primary in this world. That's why this song says in verse 29, worship the Lord in the splendor splendor of his holiness. Well, if that's how we worship, or that's how we remember, and we know what to remember, then why should we do it? And why should we commit these things to memory? Well, first reason, I think, is just because God is worthy of our remembrance. Verse 25 says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You know, there are some things that are, they're worth our time and attention, and there are some things that aren't. There are some things that are praiseworthy intrinsically, and there are some things that aren't, right? Uh, It's worth going to the Grand Canyon. I've never been, but so I hear. Everyone who has been there says it's worth going there. There's no other reason to, get, to go in that area or whatever but to make the sacrifice to see it. And it's worth actually stopping and seeing it because there's something intrinsically awe-inspiring about the Grand Canyon that's worth going to see, right? You'll have to tell me. But, but you know, it's, it's not necessarily worth going to see the dumpster that's at Second and, you know, Magnolia in Detroit or wherever. It's not taking the time and sacrifice and the money to sit and to stand, you know, in like awe of that. It, there's something that's intrinsically not praiseworthy about it. But a great work of art, a beautiful sunset, a great piece of music, even if it's not your taste or style, right? A great human feat. There's something that makes you stand back and say, that is worth actually praising because it's praiseworthy. Listen, every good and perfect thing is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He is the source of it all. And there is nothing more worthy of your praise than God. There is nothing more worthy of your memory than God. Verse 27, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. 
Therefore, verse 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. The glory that, that is fitting with His weight and who He is. And we don't do it simply for His sakes. We do it for our sakes. Uh, see, here's the thing. You will... When you, when you praise something, it actually increases your enjoyment of the thing. That's why I went to see a concert. I was traveling by myself, and I went to see a concert, and I was all by myself, and it was enjoyable. Do you know how much more the joy of that experience would have been to have been able to do that with Pam there or with a friend? Do you know how much the joy is increased when you're able to to see something beautiful and look at someone else and say, isn't this beautiful? Look at that. Look at that. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, Jonathan Keenan and I were driving down to the Presbytery meeting and the sun was coming up and it was just gorgeous. And we were able to say to one another, look at that. Well, we didn't really need to say that to one another. Both of us saw it. Both of us were looking at it. Both of us appreciated it. Both of us knew its intrinsic worth. So why do we both say it to one another? Hasn't that already been said? No. For ourselves. Because it increases the, pra- the enjoyment of the thing. To praise it. The, confess- the Westminster Catechism, which is part of our church's uh, confession of faith, the first question and answer is, uh, what is the chief end of man? That's a 16th or 17th century way of saying, uh, what is the ultimate purpose of humanity? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the two are linked. We, glorify, we enjoy God by glorifying Him. It's through praising Him and through enjoying and experiencing His intrinsic worth and beauty and value that we find our deepest delight. We, we do it for that reason, and we also do it because, well, we will remember something. You will call something to mind. That's why in the middle of this, notice in verse 26, in the middle of this uh, song, Praising God, it starts talking about idols. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. In other words, they are not intrinsically worthy, but the Lord made the heavens. Now, why does it say all the gods of the people are worthless idols? Here's why. Because you will call something to mind. You will remember something. You will remember some story, some worth, some value when you face life. Uh, When you face your day, you are going to think about all the ways in which the resources that you have to accomplish that goal. Or you're going to think about some other resources. Or you're going to think about all the failures you have done in the past and how you don't think you can accomplish the goal. And then you're going to get anxious about it. But you will call something to mind and you will live out of that something. That's an idol. You will remember something. But here's the thing about all the other idols. They are worthless. And if you remember them, it will leave you anxious and fearful. And you will not have joy. You will not have intrinsic joy and delight. 
but you will constantly be worried and looking at your own resources. There was, um, there was someone, uh, there was a study done at Harvard, and the study talked about the use of memory to actually anticipate the future. And so what they did is they, they studied how well people remembered, um, how well individuals remembered other people in their life. And then they anticipated, based on their memory, they said, how likely are they to do this when coffee is spilled on them? And then coffee is spilled on them, and they see the reaction or whatever. I don't really know how they got the legal sign-off, got people to sign off on having coffee spilled on them. But uh, what then would happen was they said, like, based on how well this person remembered someone, they were able to anticipate how the person would act. Uh, based on how well you remember someone, that actually gives you imagination for the future and helps you see the future. There's tons of studies on this. Listen, when we remember God and all the things he has done, it helps us imagine and anticipate how he's going to act towards us. Three hours from now, two days from now, 10 years from now, a million years from now. And when we see his faithfulness in the past, we know that he will be faithful in the future. At the, in the movie Dory, when her parents are explaining to her all the various, uh, all the various attributes about her condition and the struggles that she's going to have to face, which she forgets soon after um they're trying to tell her you need to introduce yourself to people and you need to say my name is dory and i suffer from short-term memory loss and this is how you need to act and this is how you need to compensate in light of those things and uh at one point uh dory says um but what if i forget you to her parents and then she says will you forget me and of course the answer is no And the good news of the covenant God and the reason that we remember him is because as often as we forget him, we may forget him. He does not forget us. He does not forget us. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. And that's why we remember. And that's why he gives us all these things to help us remember so that we will know that he is there for us. So let's continue to remember this morning. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this weekly rhythm and all the other ways in which you remind us of your faithfulness, love, and work in our lives. And we ask now that through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper and the stories that we hear, that we would remember not only your work in others' lives, but your work in our lives that we might live in the confidence that you love us, that you're for us, and that you never forget us. In Jesus' name, amen.